0: Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. So uh, the subtitle to, to my message today, uh, to the overall series, uh, Faith That Works, is um, uh, living by faith one practical step at a time. So one practical step at a time so the, the, as Justin mentioned, the series that we are busy with today comes out of the books of, of book of James. So, uh, so James, uh, found near the end of the Bible, has uh, some really profound messages uh, that we would like to touch on in the series. And today I'm going to be speaking out of James 2, verses uh, 14 to 26. So I'm going to unpack it in, in three different parts. So hopefully within the next half an hour, you'll be able to get something from it. A couple of meat, a bit of meat on the bone hopefully something to apply and also transform your life. So let's go into that piece of scripture. So I'm going to read it through so that we set the foundation uh, for the message laying ahead. So it goes like I so said, you guys, you've got your paperbacks or you got got your digital versions. Please open up uh, with me. If you don't have those, it is on the screen as well. So I'm reading uh, the New Living Translation, and it goes like this. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions. Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother and sister who have no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give the person any food or or clothing. You know, what, what good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, How can you uh, uh, sorry, I, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish! Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that your ancestors, Abraham, was shown to be, the, to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the Scriptures say, Adam believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. So you see here, so so you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do and not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute was another example. She was known to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so is faith dead without good works. A mouthful but definitely something to, uh, to consider and ponder. So let's close our eyes. and we just get into this message. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, this morning that you anoint my words. I pray, Lord, that you will bring a word in season to your people today, Father. And Lord, that every word spoken, Father Lord, may be stitched to the hearts and the minds of the individuals before me. I pray your blessing, Father. I pray that you may lead me this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right, faith that works, one practical step at a time. Now, this passage really causes a lot of theological confusion and controversy. Uh, if, you, uh, if you have read uh, some of your history and if you look at uh, humanitics, it, it explains that, that um, Martin Luther, who was around in the, in the 14th, uh, sorry, 15th and 16th century, uh, he actually called the book of James a straw. He actually called it useless. And in fact, he was so... Um, he was so uh, upset by the book that he actually wanted to cut it out of the Bible. He was, he was very, uh, so to say, fanatic in that area. He was also quite well known for uh, breaking away from the, the Roman Catholic Church. And so, uh, he, of course, uh, again, had, had some challenges uh, with the book of James. So, why all the controversy and confusion and conflict? Um, and, and there are these two perceived controversial topics, um, so, Paul speaks about it uh, in Romans, and also James speaks about it in his book that he's written. So, let's actually go through these two passages briefly, and I'll just try and hopefully bring some light on, uh, on the topic. So, in Romans 3, verses uh, 28, uh, Paul says this, so you are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law or doing works or religious proceedings, right? That's what Paul says. Now James says in uh, in James two verse seventeen he says so you see by faith by itself isn't enough unless you, pres- you it produces good deeds it is dead and useless so it seems like there's a bit of a conflict over here right so Paul is saying one thing uh, that you know guys it's it's uh, it's by faith alone that you will be saved but then James says no but you know, it's not only by faith it's it's by your deeds coupled to your faith so it seems like there's a conflict over here, but listen carefully. The background to this story is that Paul, when he was writing to the Christians, particularly Christian Jews, he he tries to help them understand that because back then they believed that it was through race or nationality. They believed by the law of Moses or legalism that they were saved. So all these religious acts and steps and deeds they were doing, they believed they were okay. No problem. Heaven, here's my ticket. Here we go. But, but Paul tries to explain to them, and the emphasis is that it's the root of salvation, faith alone, that, that needs to have a, have a transformational effect inside that will get you there. So he was, he was basically fighting these, these, these laws of, of, of religios- religiosity, of where people were saying that I'm okay, I've got my ticket to heaven because I'm doing certain things, following certain procedures. So that's, that's what they thought, Right? But James, on the other hand, was writing to Christian Jews, and he was saying that it, you know, some of them believed that oh, I can do whatever I want as long as I believe. I've got faith. It's okay. I've got my ticket to heaven. Right? So, they were basically sitting with these two opposites. So, so basically, the, the Christians that, that James was speaking to is they were, they were making Christianity religious without relationship. They were making Christianity religious without relationship any relationship. And so, that what really the crux of it all is, is that the, is that, um, the evidence, uh, sorry, the emphasis, sorry, that James has, it is on the fruits of salvation, okay? So, Paul has his emphasis on the root of salvation, but James speaks about the fruits of salvation, all right? So, that's the difference. So, so Paul is saying, guys, you need to get saved. You need to get salvation. But it's not, it's not good enough just to go through a ritual, to go through your routines. You have to have some fruit. There has to be some evidence. There has to be some leaves on this tree in order to say, yes, this tree is alive. There has to be something in your life where, you, where you've got to show that, yes, I have some fruits from what I say. And that's going to also lead me into my different sections. But Paul basically said, uses the word works, and he's talking about Jewish circumcision and also legalism, so acts of law. And James speaks about works as well, but he talks about the lifestyle of a Christian. So acts of love and acts of obedience, right? So those are the two different areas where uh, Paul and James are then focused on. So James, again, so, so Paul's trying to address the, um, the acts of, of the law, and James tries to address the fact that there is no, um, that there's no acts of love or obedience that are taking place, and you need to do that in order to fulfill faith by its definition. So, talking about the definition of faith, you know, Hebrews really outlines it really well. So, in in Hebrews 11 verses 1, it says that faith shows the reality of, of, of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. So, it's the things hoped for, but the evidence of things that cannot be seen. So, we talk about definition of faith. So, I really want to ask a really fundamental question this morning to you, and I want, I want you to have it in the back of your mind throughout the three sections uh, that I cover this morning. And it goes like, if, if someone had to bump into you uh, on the street and they had to ask you this question, how can you tell that someone has true faith? So, if they if they had to ask you and that they to say, hey, Justin, how do you know that your friend next door has true faith? How, how do you know that? And I'm going to try and answer that through through the three different sections I'm going to cover today. And um, so if you've got a notepad or you've got an iPad or you've got any pad, you know, please take, uh, take some notes. Uh, hopefully, you're going to say some things that are worth noting. Is that all right? Okay, guys. So just turn to someone and shake them and saying, we're going to go somewhere today. We're going to go somewhere. Turn to the person and say, we're going somewhere. All right? Good. Fantastic. Okay, so my first point is, um, the title of it is Dead, uh, Dead Works or Dead Faith. So, verses 14 to 17. So, James asks a couple of questions. So, in verse 14 specifically, he says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, that you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Question mark. Can that kind of faith actually save anyone? Does that kind of faith that you just talk about actually eventualize into salvation? Right? So, that, that's, that's really what James is busy asking you. He asks it. And um, so, he's not saying that if someone has faith, he's, he, he's talking about does someone say that they have faith. And so, there is a difference between talking about saying that you have faith and also projecting faith from your life in a very practical way. So, it's, it's for me, it's just lip service. I, you know, I work in a corporate, uh, wo- you know, where there's you know, uh, 24,000 people working there, and, and and there's a lot of… I hear a lot of lip service. are oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And, and there's a lot, of, a lot of people with really good intentions, really good intentions. I oh, yeah, I can give that to them. But what I, what I do see is a lack of action, a, lot of, a lack of stepping into the words. And so, um, so this is also what this passage is, is trying to cover. Is that James is trying to say, guys, you know, there's a lot of people that say a lot of things, that say that I have a faith, but, but show me the evidence of that. Show me the evidence of the things that you proclaim and you profess and you claim over your life. Show, show me, show me. And um, so, so that's really what it's about. And, and, he, and he says, you know, can this, can this type of faith save someone, someone who only talks about being saved? And of course, the answer is no. In verse 15 to 16, he says this, suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day. Be warm and be well. And you don't give that person any food or clothing. You know, what, what, what good is that? Well, what good is that? You know, A desperate situation requires an immediate response. So when you see, I mean, we, um, you know, when Chris and myself were living in South Africa a few years ago, um, we used to keep, you know, South Africa is a little bit different in terms of, of, of social status and, 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 and uh, setting and, and so forth. So there'd be many people standing at the traffic lights you know, begging for money, and uh, instead of giving them money, you know, we, would, we would have cans of food uh, in the passenger seat uh, or, or at, uh, at the feet, and we would have them a can, and we say, you know, may Christ be with you or bless you, hope the Lord blesses you and have a wonderful day, here's a can of food. So it wasn't just, you know, again, it wasn't just lip service, but it was something that we, that we practically did. We said, here's a can of food, you're probably pretty hungry standing in the scorching sun or a drink or whatever it may be, so, so again, it was just something that was challenged that this this piece of passage challenged us uh, back in our lives. Um, so it's, of course, not just saying the right things or having some having the right intention, but there has to be some right action coupled to that. your Your body uh, and and the works that you ha- that you do need to be aligned with what you say and what you believe and what you project. So James concludes this uh, in this point by saying, in verse seventeen, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now, there's a very good Greek word, and I don't know if uh, Yvonne's father is over here because he corrected me last time, but I did look it up uh, uh, again. So there's, a, there's the word uh, dead uh, in Greek that says nerikos um, or uh, unfruitful, means uh, agonos. So merikos and agonos are two words used for dead or barren or unfruitful or unproductive and so it's important that you know, the, if you have that type of faith, that type of faith describes the condition of your faith and is not accompanied by by works. That type of faith, it's not accompanied by works. Mykonos. So so that 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 is that is really what what Paul tries to highlight. Uh, sorry, what James tries to highlight here is that it's important to couple, you know, what you say to what you do. Um, so So true faith can never be alone. It must be accompanied with, with these works. Uh, so really a really uh, clear illustration uh, is from a guy as a Frenchman. Um, he, he was around in the 1800s. So um, in September of, of 1860, a guy called uh, Charles Baldwin you can bring those pictures up. So he, he was a tight walk roper, a, a tight rope walker. Yes, tight rope walker. Uh, he, and he, what he did is that he, he walked across the Niagara Falls uh, for, uh, it was 1,100 uh, feet long, the rope that he was walking across, 160 feet high <coughs> above the, uh, the uh, Niagara Falls. And so back in the day, I mean, there weren't many circuses. So I guess this was sort of the modern day circus trick. And he, of course, uh, got a lot of attention. There were people that were coming from, from uh, wide and far uh, to come uh, take a look at this crazy Frenchman uh, to see what he's doing. And uh, so they so he stood on one side and he crossed and people were applauding and he did all kinds of crazy things he was um, he was uh, he went over on a sack as well too inside of a sack uh, he did it blindfolded once before he did it on a bicycle he did it at night once before uh, he actually crazy enough he did it while uh, cooking an omelette on a stove while he was pushing this over on a tightrope don't yeah if you don't believe me consult Google it's there and and the one time. <laughs> He actually, he was pushing a wheelbarrow with a sack of potatoes over this rope to the other side. And when he, when he arrived at the other side, the people were applauding him. They were like, wow, you're the greatest uh, uh, tightrope walker that the world has ever seen. And, uh, and, and he was applauding. And, he, and uh, so basically what he said to them is, do you guys think I could put a person in this, barrow, in, in this wheelbarrow and push them over? Yes, we think you can. And, uh, and he said, okay, who's Who's first? And, and everyone went silent. Everyone went silent. And, and, and this is such a unique illustration and capturing how faith actually is. So a lot of people are cheering this guy on, saying, yes, we believe you, we believe it can be done, we've seen it with our own eyes, that you have, that you have pushed a sack of potatoes over, you've cooked an omelet across this tightrope, but, but yet I don't trust you enough to push me across in that barrel, in that weird barrel, barrel, And that's a little bit of what what faith is about, is that we've seen it, we believe it, but we need to act, right? We need to get into that wheelbarrow and cross that tightrope because it's it's tough, guys. I know it's tough sometimes to sit there and talk, and it's all nice and so on, but we need to start putting action to our words. We need to start realizing that it's not just the lip service that is going to get us from A to B. That's not going to produce salvation. It's not going to produce salvation in other people's lives, it has to be coupled to action. So, again, faith is not just a matter of what we say with our lips, but it involves uh, in what we do with our lives. It's what we do with our lives that truly, truly matters. Are you at a place where you people can count on you? What type of place in fellowship are you? Are you the type of guy that says, hey, you know, phone me at any time of the night if you're in trouble? W- will that person be phoning you? Does your your actions and your behavior, do they link up together? So my second point, it's a little bit of a strange uh, title, uh, so bear with me. You'll see what I mean. So the second one is called demonic faith, all right? Very strange, but you'll see. Hold on to your seats. Verses 18 to 19. Verse 18 specifically, uh, James says this. He says, now someone may argue some people have faith and others have good works, James is imagining probably some believers are saying, well, you know, I've got works and uh, I've got faith and, you know, this is what I believe and this is what I do. So, you know, we're all Christians and it's okay. We all, you know, it doesn't matter. We're all going to arrive in heaven one day. But James challenges and he says, show me your faith apart from your works. Show me. He's, he's, he's very provocative. He's very challenged. He says, show me. Show, show me how it's possible that you can have faith without any good deeds coupled to that. Please, should, I, I want to see the evidence. I want to see the evidence. And um, so it's super important that we, that we come to a place of, of really coupling the things that we do to the things that we say. And, and James, of course, says it's impossible. It's impossible. And so faith really is like calories, right? You, you don't know they're there, but you can see the results, right? Right? Is like calories you don't know they're there but they, you can see the results and uh, for me it's important um, that when I you know, for me I, I consider health really important uh, I think most most of us or all of us do and um, so when I make a statement like that I when I say that health is important right okay so what what does that mean what are the things that I need to do in order to substantiate that that statement I need to then of course eat correctly right probably some good food yeah. McDonald's or Burger King every night—probably not a good idea. I need to—I need to rest, so I I make sure that at least I get seven hours. I can't say uninterrupted because we have some individuals who like to wake us up most nights. Um, But seven hours of sleep—I say that I want to exercise at least to do some exercise, get the body in shape. Right, doing something. Uh, I've been cleaning the garden uh, a lot recently, so. I did lose a few kilograms doing that. And then also some regular health checks, you see, you know, is all the things that you're doing, you know, resulting in something. And so the same way is that when we make a statement like, I, I believe in Christ, I have faith. Okay, but sh- sh- show me. Well, what are the things that you're doing to substantiate that claim or that statement? And so for me, that's super important. And, and what Paul's, uh, what James also says is that you can't see faith, but you can see the, the results of faith. And I think that's so important. Um, and he makes this challenge. I will show you my faith by my works. I will show you. He was very bold. I, he says, I will show you my faith by my works. And so what James is really referring to over here, and I alluded to it a little bit earlier, but it's about you know, the, the acts coupled to the faith are, are acts of love, acts of obedience, so when people look at your life and they say, you know, Christelle, do we do we see, you know, faith in your life? You know, do we see faith in your life? Do we see, do we see love? Do we see obedience? Do we see, do we see the evidence of, of it? Uh, I think it was John F. Kennedy Kennedy's, in one of his books he wrote. Um, he said that uh, if he was arrested, he's not sure there would be enough evidence. And someone asked him, "Are you?" Uh, are you, are, do you have enough evidence to prove that you're a Christian? He, he wrote that in one of his books, and, 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 it's, and it, he, it made me think a little bit, is there enough evidence, if someone arrested me for being a Christian, is there enough evidence for that? Am I doing enough things in order to claim that I'm a Christian? And so I think for me that that is really what it's coupled to. It's these acts of love, these acts of obedience, and what James is referring to when he talks about works or the things that you need to do to, again, substantiate your faith it's good to be a believer uh, it's good to be a believer and say that I believe in God of course um, the mere existence of God is it sufficient that claim you know James really and this is what where the title that I have um, uh, makes sense is that he he mentions over here in in verses 19 specifically even the demons believe and shudder or tremble or are afraid so so they believe as well even they believe. So, so, again, just in light of what, what Paul was saying in Romans, that it's, that it's not enough just to say, I believe in God. Or to, so, or, sorry, in, in, in James. So what James was saying, it's not enough just to say, it's important to actually have some acts coupled to it. So, Matthew, Matthew 8, verses 29, we see over there uh, that, uh, that Matthew writes, he says, They began screaming at him, so it's demons, uh, and him being Christ. Why are you interfering with us, son of God? Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? So guys, even the devil believes in God. Even his demons tremble because they know of his majestic existence, his majesty. They, they believe and they, they know he exists. And so the devils are, of course, well-informed, well but they're not transformed. So that's what's supposed to take place in our lives. We're supposed to be at a place that, yes, we're informed, but there's also a transformation that has to take place. And for me, that is, that is what, uh, what James is trying to say Yeah, The mere profession of your faith is not enough to get, sal- get you uh, to a place of salvation. The mere claim, the mere statement, the mere profession, the mere, uh, the mere uh, announcement of that, that you believe is, is not enough. Being a Christian involves believing in Christ, but also living for Christ. I think that's so, so important that the, the two go hand in hand. It's a marriage. It's a body and soul. Without the other, it, it's, there's no existence. There's no life. Um, so again, faith must result in life, life transformation. I love what, what, uh, what Matthew writes over here uh, in chapter 5, verses 16. He says, Jesus said, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. In the same way, let your deeds shine out for all those to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So again, guys, it's so it's also very clear the motivation behind the deeds as well. It's not, of course, for self-justification or, or self-proclamation, but it's also to make sure the, the main reason is, of course, that our heavenly Father uh, gets the credit uh, for it. Um so so do do people when they see you do they see Christ in you that's, an, that's another question I want to ask when people see you when they see you do they see Christ in you so your co-workers your relatives um, your friends your, your families your, your the students that you that you study with do they see Christ in you uh, a couple of years ago I, I gave my life to Christ so close to, to 20 now and um, in the beginning I was I was very vocal of course about my uh about my conversion or my, you know, my discovery. And, uh, yeah, I, my family weren't really excited as, as much as I was. Um, I was, I was yeah, quite excited. Um, and then I decided, okay, you know, look, that strategy of trying to get them excited is not working. It's not, uh, they don't seem to catch this flame and, and the words that I'm using and the, and the rhetoric that I use. But so then, so then I decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to let my life and the actions in my life, do the talking. Now it's been a very long journey, fifteen years uh, s- since that my life. And I'm not saying I'm perfect in any way. I've got many flaws. Christelle knows <laughs> all of them. Uh, and uh, it, it's important that, that that your life does the talking for you. There's a very good saying is that you know actions speak louder than words. Now, that's a very it's a very common phrase. You hear it quite often. And I, I allowed my life over fifteen years to show to my family members what it means to walk the walk and not just to talk. And um, I wouldn't, again, you know, again, uh, you know our, our marriage is pretty good, I guess. You know? <laughs> uh, we, you know, we've, got, we've got a third child on the way, so probably this is something. Um, it, you know, we have, uh, we have relatively stable finances. Um, but if I, if I look at my family's lives, I look at my siblings, if I look at my, my mother, my father, uh, you know, not quite stable. <laughs> relations and finances and, 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 I, and I, I can truly I, I can truly only attribute it to the, to, the, to the works uh, that I believe that I'm exercising in my life according to my faith and for me that's so important and they see it they actually they actually comment on it. they actually comment on our lives and say that guys you know there's clearly something different about your lives. we see Christ in your lives and they first acknowledge it they started some of them have been going to church as well too because of our lives I believe at least. So, again, allow the words, uh, allow the works in your life to do the talking for you. and um, I trust you will see the difference in those around you. So, the third area in the band, you guys can come up at this point. I'm just going to wrap up in the next few minutes. So, the third area is uh, dynamic faith, and that's in verses 20 to 26. So, James goes on to explain about dynamic faith, and this is this true saving faith. So, remember the question that I asked in the beginning? If someone had to bump into you, how do you know that there's true saving faith? That someone has true saving faith. So this is what, what James speaks about over here in this specific section, and that it's dynamic faith, and in that it involves the whole person. It's the head, it's the heart, and most importantly, it's the hands as well, right? So it's not just thinking about your faith. It's not just about believing in your faith, but it's about exercising your faith. The head, the heart and the hands. So James, again, in verse 20, repeats himself. He says, how foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? And I I love what he goes on to say in verses 21 to 24. He speaks about um, two particular individuals. We don't have time now to go through both, but he speaks about Abraham specifically. Now, Abraham got a promise at at the age of 75 that you're going to have a son, right, 75. You're like, okay, wow. And, And the promise that God made to him is that your sons and daughters will be as many as as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. Abraham had to wait another twenty-five years before that, that, uh, that promise actually came true. So age hundred or ninety-nine he, he had a son, with Sarah. But this is this is something God told him at seventy at seventy-five, is this is the promise, Abraham, that I'm gonna give to you. Is that your children will be as many as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And so when, when the Lord required of him to take his only son that was born to him at 99 or 100 to the mountain and sacrifice him, he was like, Lord, I'll do it. Got up early, packed the donkey, here we go. But I believe that, that Abraham, and it also speaks about it in, in, um, in Hebrews 11, that Abraham knew that God had a plan. He knew that, why would God say that your children will be as many as the sand on the seashore, shore, stars in the sky, I have to, but but then he's asking me to sacrifice my only, uh, my only offspring. Abraham understood. He understood God's plan. He understood the test that was before him. And actually the word says that through his obedience, it was the evidence of God in his life. Faith alone, sorry, faith has made him perfect in his obedience. So again, guys, this is what James is talking about. It's about this, these acts of obedience, these, these acts of love. And just shortly on, um, in, uh, we also have the one section where we have the Good Samaritan as well too, where we speak about these acts of love, where the priest and, and the Levite just walked by and looked at this, uh, this man that was robbed next to the road, and um, yeah, they were religious individuals. They, had, they, were acts of, they, were, they were men acts of law. This is what they were. Um, but they turned a blind eye and probably said, hope someone takes care of you soon. Looks kind of messy. The Good Samaritan actually applied the act of love to his faith by bringing up that man, taking him to an inn, giving money to the keeper, saying, please take care of this man. And if there's more debt, I'll take care of it afterwards. Christelle myself had a very interesting story a few years ago. Uh, I'll try and be brief as well too. I know time is almost, uh, almost up. Finished. Um, so, uh, in 2007 uh, was the year and myself got married. Uh, it was October 20th, and um, so the events that took place. Some of you have heard the story. So sorry about that. But um, so the events that took place prior to um, to our marriage, exactly four months, um, Christelle uh, had a thrombosis in the leg. And uh, she was admitted into hospital. Her leg had swollen, literally twice the size of the other. And uh, so they operated on her, removed the blood clot, uh, and they'd given her a blood thinner as well, too, uh, to take care of all the other smaller blood clots that were in her uh, in her body. And um, and actually, so there was actually a blood vessel uh, that burst in her brain, and she she had an aneurysm. And, um, and this was four months before, before we were about to get married. Now, the ring was on the finger. We were set. The invitations were out. Everything was booked. We were ready to go. And um, so the doctors called uh, myself and her parents in. And I said, look, guys, she was in the ICU. And uh, they said to us that, look, we just want to be on- open and honest with you. There's about a 10% chance that she's going to live. We just want to be very clear that this is a, this is a very serious situation. And um, so I, I was—I was a broken man, you know. That was twelve years ago. I—I I, I didn't know what to say. So we—so we started praying. We started praying, and there were churches from all over that were praying for her. So she was in the ICU for three weeks. Um, miraculously, she started uh, becoming healed. There was only—she was paralyzed. Basically, the only one arm could move. The rest of her body was paralyzed, and. Um, so we started praying for her, and she moved into the, the regular section of the hospital and eventually to her parents' house, but she was confined to a wheelchair. And about one month before the wedding, uh, she was still in the wheelchair. She was going to a rehabilitation center. My father phones me, and he, um, he considers himself a very pragmatic individual, realist. That's the religion he su- subscribes to. And he said to me, Matthew, look, um, <clears throat> I just want to um, I just want to teach you about something. He said, Yeah. Uh, I said, yes. Uh, he said, Look, um, I, I want to propose something uh, in that you guys postpone the wedding because it's very evident that Christelle's is still in a wheelchair. She's not going to walk down the aisle. You know, all these dreams that she had as a young schoolgirl, they're not going to come to reality. So, I, I, my recommendation, postpone the wedding. And I was like, I wasn't ready for that question. I wasn't. I was on the phone. I was like, What? Uh, fortunately, a friend of mine, two two weeks before that, who was in the same church of us at that time, gave me this verse. Um, and the section out of James, and I hold on to this about faith without works is dead. And I, I immediately took to that verse when I spoke to my father over the phone. I said, "Dad, thank you very much. You're a concerned parent, but I believe that God's going to heal her from one month of where she is today, being confined to a wheelchair, to be able to walking down the aisle." And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And she went from uh, from the wheelchair to crutches to one crutch. And, form, and a month later, she actually walked down the aisle, holding onto her father's arm. And the, and the crux of my story, and the point of the story, is that, is I that I was I felt the Lord telling me, Matthew, keep that wedding date, keep that wedding date. And and in in all in all naturalness, I was I was crazy. I mean, to continue to do that, I mean, the evidence is in front of me. My wife's in a wheelchair. And um, and I really felt that the Lord honoured that that obedience of mine, saying, are we going to keep the wedding date? We're going to push through with it. And she walked down the aisle, and it was a beautiful day. Lots of tears in everyone's eyes, and it was amazing. It was really amazing. Faith and works are like the body and the spirit. Apart from each other, the body is dead.
1: Faith without works
0: is dead because it reveals, uh, faith without works is dead because it reveals the heart that has not been transformed. I think that statement is really, really true, is that you say that you believe, but if there's no transformation, then the heart is dead really in that area. I really believe that there has to be an outworking of your faith in this area. So I actually just want to close over here right now on this topic and saying that, guys, and challenge you and put this question to you. Now, what kind of faith do you have? Do you have dead faith, demonic faith, or do you have dynamic faith? Do you have the faith that really, that that James speaks about, about what what we see in Abraham's life, in Rahab's life, and also the Good Samaritan? Do we see that faith in action, faith that works? So let's examine our hearts over this week to really question ourselves. What type of faith is it that we really have? What are the fundamental changes I need to make in my life? Is that all right? Great, guys. I hope you got something from this today. Um, So let's let's stand up and let's continue to worship the Lord in the service.